What if the only thing standing in the way of changing your life was having the confidence you need? I found there's three areas you need to be confident in in order to succeed. Your mind, your faith, and your leadership. One or all three of these areas will always be in play. You are listening to Call to Confidence. I'm your host, Sharon Hughes, and confidence looks good on you. Dale Carnegie of Orange County is proud to sponsor the Call to Confidence podcast. Dale Carnegie is a world-class training organization focused on leadership, communication, presentations, and sales. We help people take command of their lives through taking command of their work. Joining me on the show today is an actor, director, producer, and author. All right, you guys, sit down, because you're not going to believe who it is. It is no other than Kevin Sorbo. Yes, you knew him as Hercules back in the 90s. He has so much valuable content to bring to you around his career, the lessons he's learned, and how his faith has shaped him. Welcome to the show, Kevin. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled to have you. I'm thrilled. All right, let's just jump right into it. Kevin, you're just a regular guy from small town, middle America, and then all of a sudden you became Hercules. <laughs> Was that a mind blow for you? I think, I think there's more to it than that. <laughs> I, I certainly am from a, from a small town. I grew up in a little town called Mound, Minnesota, which is a suburb, western suburb of, um, of Minneapolis. And, uh, you know, a town of about 7,000 people. And I'm the fourth of five kids, and uh, it's a big sports town. I was a football, basketball, baseball guy, and I fell in love with acting at a young age. Uh, just uh, the Guthrie Theater is a very famous theater in Minneapolis where a lot of Broadway plays are birthed there. Uh, probably the most successful would be The Lion King. That's where they started production. That's where they ran for three months when they realized they had a big hit, and they moved it to Broadway. It's been out there 22 years now. Mm-hmm. But I was an 11-year-old kid, and I went and saw... Uh, with our school, it was a field trip into the Guthrie, and we saw The Merchant of Venice. It was, um, you know, Shakespeare. I didn't know what the heck they were saying because I was 11, and, and it was Shakespeare. So right. I, um, I, but I, I was mesmerized by the actors on stage, and I just, right then and there, I knew my path was laid out before me, and I, I wanted to be an actor. And by being from a small town and being a jock, you know, we kind of made fun of the, you know, the nerds and the kids or whatever, the dweebs that we call them in the drama class, even though I wanted to be one of them. So right. <laughs> uh, it wasn't until I really um, got into college where I started pursuing it more and uh, then, you know, moving to LA and just getting out there and hitting the grind. I was very lucky. I'm one of the few guys I know that got out there and never had to work another job. I worked uh, very well commercially and uh, getting guest spots here and there. And then uh, the Hercules thing came along, of course, and that was just unbelievable. It was supposed to be, just be five two-hour movies and turned it into this juggernaut and went for seven years and became the most watched TV show in the world, airing in 176 countries. So it was That's crazy. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And, wow. I know. Wow. And that led, obviously, to my next series, Andromeda, which I did for five years. And that was the first show Gene Roddenberry created after the original Star Trek series. He wrote it way back in 1969. And his widow, Majel Roddenberry, came to me and said, hey, my husband wrote this way back in the day, and I think he would have loved you to be the first captain after Captain Kirk. And I, I stopped her in the phone call. I said, I'm in, Majel. Just where do I start? Because <laughs> I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So that's how that happened. 
I love that. You know, Kevin, you wrote a book a number of years ago, and for the listeners that aren't familiar, it is called True Strength. And you tell the story of one of the pivotal moments in your life that truly could have ended your career. Would you share that story with us? Well, it could have ended my life. I mean, I, I was, um, was season five on Hercules near the end of it. And uh, I was having problems with my left shoulder. I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And my, my arm was aching all the time and my fingers were numb and cold. And it just, I, it was just strange. And mm-hmm. we finished the season. I came back to America and I just finished my first big budget movie the year before called Call the Conqueror and Call is a prequel of Conan the Barbarian. So it was a big movie for me. Uh, Universal was gearing me up to pretty much take over for Arnold as, an, you know, the next up and coming uh, action guy. But I went to see um, a doctor. He found a lump in my shoulder. And before they did the biopsy on it, I went to see my chiropractor. And while I'm laying on my back and he's working on me, I heard a voice warn me multiple times, don't let him crack your neck. Now, that's a weird thing for me to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's weird for a car to crack my neck, this guy, because he knows I don't like my neck um, cracked. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he cracks my neck. And that bump in my shoulder was an aneurysm that uh, when we cracked it, it forced three, it opened up the aneurysm more. It sent hundreds of clots into my arm, but sent uh, four clots into my brain. The speech was one of the things that I lost, but that came back right away. The other three uh, strokes and my eyes and my vision, uh, my, my uh, balance uh, lasted a long time. It took me three years to fully recover. So wow. it was uh, uh, the doctor at Cedar sinai there and the, the uh, University of uh, USC doctor, um, both the neuro- neurologists uh, wrote up a paper on me. Pretty fortunate, you know, but it was... Um, it, it, it did birth the book, True Strength, mm-hmm. that I didn't want to write. My wife made me write it, so <laughs> it took years, years for me to do it. She said, look, you've got a story to tell. I mean, my ego was I don't want anybody to see how weak I had become. I mean, obviously, the studio knew, and they kept it quiet. In today's world, you know, back in the 90s, you can get away with that. In today's world, you wouldn't be able to get away with it. So right. um, all, they, all E.T. had in Access Hollywood was that, yes, he had an aneurysm in the shoulder, but he's all fine. Everything's good. Well, I returned wow. to New Zealand four months after uh, rehab to learn to even balance again, but my balance was still pretty bad. Uh, and I went from a 14 hour work day to just one hour a day. And this slowly worked up. They kept the show going. Just they would do one or two quick scenes to shoot all my angles right away. I couldn't do my stunt scenes anymore for probably took another probably four months after it was eight months into my strokes where I could at least make it look like I was doing something. Wow. But I used to do all of them. You know, my, my stunt guy, Sam, did very few stunts in any of the fights that I did because my ego and uh, it said that I wanted to do them because I enjoyed it. It was fun, you know, and, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a long way. It was a long way back, but by, by the end of the second year, the, the recovery from them really accelerated. But the first year and a half to two years was really tough. It was tough on my ego. It was tough on my psyche. It was tough on everything on me. You know, it was just, it was a long battle. Wow. I can't even imagine Okay, so the voice. Talk about that voice that you heard that said, don't let him crack your back. Like, well, you know, I got my atheist friends to say it's your gut feeling, but, you know, yeah. it, was, it, was, uh, it, it could have been uh, God, it could have been uh, any one of his angels, whatever, but the, the warning was there, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it, was, it was clear as a bell. I just did not pay attention to it. But if right. I learned anything, I've learned to listen to that voice from now on because I've heard the voice before, you know, in college, you you maybe a little bit too much to drink, a little buzz, and you're walking home, and you're about to take a shortcut down the alleyway, and you kind of you hear that voice come, yeah, you better not go down that way, and you don't, you know. Mm-hmm. So because when it first came out, 
uh, through a publishing company out of New York City. Um, I got invited to do some readings at bookstores, and then all of a sudden I got invited to talk at not only you know stroke survivor conferences, but you know doctors' offices, neurologists, uh, churches. Uh, it just just took off, and people came up to me that had read the book that had been not only stroke survivors, but cancer survivors or car crash survivors or heart attack, whatever it may be. And they said, you know, your book motivated me and made me stop feeling sorry for myself because, you know, the reality is no matter what age you are, um, you're going to hit a roadblock. And the book is really about what are you going to do when you hit that roadblock? You blame yeah. God, you blame family, you blame friends. No, you got to look in that mirror and go, okay, it happened. What am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. instead of sitting around feel sorry for yourself you know it sucked I mean my career was taken off I mean thank god I finished Hercules and but I had to drop out of the movie that I had lined up right away there and then after that the feature film world just dropped out of sight from me because they said well you know he's got this but then I proved you know I finished the last few years of Hercules I finished five seasons of Andromeda and I just finished my 61st movie. So I'm still alive and I'm still wow. doing movies. So yeah, so you are a big, walking miracle. They're, they're just not big budget ones. They're just good. Yeah. They're family friendly ones that Hollywood doesn't want to do anymore. Well, okay. First of all, I'm thankful that you are filling the gap by making those family friendly movies because, you know, let's face it, the world is changing and oh, yeah. we still need that, that voice of, let's just call it the, like the guardian of good the guardian of truth, we need that out there to counterbalance what's going on in popular culture. So I'm really thankful that you're doing that work. Oh, thanks. And you know, I've got quite a few coming out as well. But it, it is weird to think of what's happening. It's sad what's happening in our culture. Mm -hmm. And politics is downstream of culture. And who runs the culture? Hollywood and the media. And mm -hmm. a lot of it is just angry and negative and violent and over-sexualized. And look, I'm not approved by any means, but it's like, mm -hmm. give me a break. I mean, do, really, do we got to teach four-year-olds about, you know, all the sex and all the different things out there that are going on? I mean, it's just, it's so strange what we're doing, this purposeful, uh, uh, just beating down on uh, people of all ages with, I, I think, mostly negative, negative, uh, you know, subject matters. Yeah, I actually really agree with you. Quite often, I'm watching a movie with my youngest son that's a senior in high school, and we'll talk after and say, was that scene really necessary? Because you really could have seen something lead up and the door shut. And you know what's going on behind the door. You don't have to exploit it. And of course, there's been so many women coming out talking about how they've been compromised on sets that I'm kind of wondering, will we stop seeing so much of that in-your-face sexuality that's mainly women. I wonder if we're going to see that stop because to name names in there either. But you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy <laughs> too. Because you know, it's it's interesting when you watch like the Golden Globes or the Oscars and stuff, and you see these women walking down the red carpet, and they're basically wearing pasties, and they're showing 99% of their body, and then they look at you, go, "Don't you dare look at me!" You know, mm -hmm. so I mean, yeah. uh, I think of plenty of those women that were, you know. Uh, crying wolf. Uh, I, I think a lot of them, and I know, uh, I know for a fact, some of them have have played that game before. Because I've been on sets when I've seen the flirtation with the producers and the directors from the actors, and uh, you know, it's uh, there. That game is alive and well. So I'm not trying to to denigrate or say, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen to those who are innocent. Mm -hmm. But um, I think a lot of people jumped on that bang wagon foil just to try to get more press for themselves, mm -hmm. and uh, you know. It's, I, I, I hope it does change a little bit, but I, it gets to a point that now, okay, how do you, 
like I look at my my boys growing up now and I'm going, how, how are they going to meet people in their lives? Because they have to walk up to somebody with a contract and say, I looked at you, please don't sue me. But is it okay if I ask you to dance? You know, you're in the bar here with me. So it's like, yeah. how, do you, how, how are we supposed to go about this now? We, we're getting so crazy uh, with, with these, with these, you know, touchy feely safe space, safe space. And everybody's looking to be offended world. Cause, um, you know, anybody can say anything and you're going to have half the people out there attack you for saying it, whether it's the truth or not, doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's become a very blurred line of what's yeah. okay. What's not. People can, you know, it's, it's, you're guilty now before being proved innocent. You can say anything about anybody. Mm-hmm. And like, look at Kavanaugh. They went back, what, 35 years to say what he might have done something to some girl back in high school or college, but we don't know for sure, but we're going to go after him anyway. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's not as cut and dry as the Bill Cosby thing that came out where, you know, 20 women came out and said, yeah, I was drugged and passed out and he had sex yeah. on me while I was, I mean, that's sad and it's sick, but uh, yeah. a lot of the stuff now, people can say anything just to get attention. And uh, we live in uh Crazy times, crazy. I mean, they scream for tolerance, but tolerance and freedom of speech has become a one-way street. Mm. You're taking steps to counteract that with your family-friendly movies that have good values and, and show that, that intersection of where you have to choose right or wrong and which path. I've, I've noticed that's the thread through your movies. Yeah. I mean, I hope some people check these out. You know, I mean, it really started back in 2010. I did a movie with Dallas Jenkins directed it. His, his father, Jerry Jenkins, wrote the Left Behind novels mm-hmm. with uh, Mr. LaHaye. And wonderful, wonderful script, wonderful story. It's one of my favorite movies. It's from the same guys who wrote my other movie that ended up being a major blockbuster with God's Not Dead. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, these guys have the uh, same writer team had their most recent movies, Unplanned, which has been a big hit about uh, abortion. Yeah. And um, uh, that opened the door for me to really kind of dive into these movies because, you know, I've been blacklisted from Hollywood. You know, you say you're conservative and you say you're a Christian. That's like being a double leper. So <laughs> I've, been, I've been pretty much they're the ones who say, they, you know, they want tolerance, but they have zero tolerance. And as you know, those what those two people from Will and Grace came out with their own witch hunt thing saying anybody who gives money to Trump should be blacklisted from Hollywood. And, you know, they're the ones that. Uh, it just flip things around when we're, you know, it's, like I said, the hypocrisy is just so rampant now and the anger and the hate. And these are people that still make $20 million a year, you know, and they scream mm-hmm. for socialism. I go, yeah, you guys, you, you, you can say you're a socialist, but you live like a capitalist. So stop with the hypocrisy there too. So, mm-hmm. you know, they all have, they all have walls around and, you know, fortresses around their homes. They all fly private planes. They have homes around the world and uh, they try to pretend like they're the everyday man out there. So, um, People, I think a lot of people uh, can see through that and, and are, are onto it. And I think a little bit tired of it. Um, it's uh, the movies have been, you know, after that I did a movie called soul surfer. Um, I did a movie called Abel's field. People can go to kevinsorbo.net. They can see what I got there and they can get a hold of me through that website. And I've got all kinds of, my book is on there. True, true strength. If they want an autographed copy of my book, true strength, they can go through the, that as well. And um uh, my latest movie is, uh, well, actually the one I did that came out in theaters last year is called, uh, let there be light. I hope people check that out. Let there be light ended up being a really wonderful, uh, surprise hit for us in movie theaters, low budget movie, but it just took off. And that got me a call from Netflix. Oh, Netflix nice. said, Hey, we want to meet with you. And, uh, so I've, the door has been open for over a year with them now, but they haven't pulled the trigger yet, but they keep saying they want to open an inspirational division and do family friendly movies. And, 
I said, all you got to do is look at the top 100, you know, grossing movies of all time in, in Hollywood. And the majority of them are PG, PG 13 movies, not R movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the bread and butter is. I'm not saying stop making our movies. I'm not trying to tell Hollywood what to do. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. why don't you at least pay attention to the 80 million households out there that want a product that they can watch together as a family? Right, right. Because that used to be such a, a big thing. I mean, times have changed again. Well, it's called insane. show business. It's called right. show business, right? It's not show show. So right. if, even if you don't agree and, you, and you're totally atheist and agnostic point of view and you hate Christians, you hate people that have any kind of faith, mm-hmm. well, at least, uh, you know, laugh at that all the way to the bank when you make m- movies that have a good message. In. Right. And I'm totally dating myself by saying this, but I remember uh, you back know, I don't want that on atheist. <laughs> I remember back in the day, Going to the drive-in with my brothers oh, yeah. and my parents and watching a family-friendly yeah. movie. And that was a big deal. That was so important to our family. And now, like you said, you can hardly sit down and watch something with, you know, small children. No, you can't. You can't. Yeah. Like, we did the same thing. We had to drive in in my little town of Mound. I mean, now it's a bunch of condos on that lot. But yeah. Um, that, you know, some drive-ins are still around, but I got good memories from that stuff too. And it was, it was great. And, you know, I got a letter from the TV guide editor back in the nineties saying, this is together as a family all the time. That's come from a TV guide editor. And I said, that's pretty cool. You know, and, it, and it's still out there. People check it out. It's on H and I cable. Hey, Kevin, can you repeat what you just said about the, the letter that you got from the TV guide, our audio cut out. Okay. Um, and I got a letter during the Hercules years from the TV guide editor saying this is the one show we watch together as a family. And to get that from a guy who's the editor of TV guide was pretty cool. You know, he said, this is a, this is a great family show and it's still out there. People can watch it all the time. They, it's, it's still on Encore cable. It's still on H and I cable. It's still in 60 countries, which is amazing. That is amazing. It's a legacy that you've left. I mean, to think it's still there. That's crazy. Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, Hollywood copies everything and I get it. If something's successful, you see at movies and TV shows as well. If something's hot, you'll see a button. I mean, how many, how many zombie things are out there now from movies and television? Mm-hmm. But when Hercules went on the air, there was nothing like it on TV at the time. You know, it was right. funny. It was exciting. There was drama. The fight scenes were always great and well choreographed and it was shot beautifully. I mean, we had, t- we had two crews going We had an A and a B crews. Um, uh, that was, you know, bug, bumming around. And we, every episode had about 18 to 20 days of filming in it. So um, uh, by our third season, when we spun off our Xena, Warrior Princess, that same year, all these other studios copied the shows. Then mm-hmm. that same year, uh, an opposing female type show called Sheena came out. Mm-hmm. And then there was also Tarzan and Conan and Robin Hood and Sinbad. Uh, so all these shows try to copy it, you know. So uh Unfortunately for us, we were still the one that kicked everybody's butt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I really love to talk about mindset and faith. So I'd like to ask that question of at what point in your life did you begin practicing your traditional Christian values? And, and how did that shape you as an actor? And what was the mindset like? Well, you know, when I... I, I've been, I've, I consider myself a Christian all my life. I never went through a phase where I said, no, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe in Jesus. That never happened to me. I, mean, I grew up in a very Christian household. We were still Minnesota, Scandinavian, you know, and uh, what's that? Oh, our audio keeps going out. 
Is it working now? Mm -hmm. yeah. So you want me to go back to that again? Yes, please. Okay. Yes. So um, I never, I, I never fell away from my faith. I was all, I was a Christian. I grew up in a very, I'm not going to say a, a, you know, a, a firm, a, a tough Christian household, but I grew up in a Lutheran household. Our pa pastor was very, you know, actually quite boring. It was a youth pastor that was influ influential on me more than anybody. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it was, the faith was always there. I never went out, even in my high school or even getting in my college years. I wasn't going to church as much anymore, but I never stopped the prayers. I never stopped my belief that never, you know, my university, I never saw any of the crap that's going on in universities and public education today. I mean, I never mm -hmm. had teachers telling me, you know, you better not believe in God. You better, I mean, now they got, you know, they, people get failed for that. I mean, that's shown God's not dead. They showed 28 court cases at the end of that movie where students were, uh, had to, had to sue the university for, um, having these professors just basically fail them and attack them just because they had a faith in God. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So I never saw that, but uh, there was certainly a moment when I was 13 years old, we went in to see Billy Graham, the Reverend Billy Graham speak at Minneapolis, St. Paul at the state fairgrounds. There was like 250,000 people there. It was unbelievable. I mean, you could feel, it was like this giant organism breathing. And I mean, it was just amazing the power of that many people outside. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, you know, he had a bunch of volunteers up there and said, please come up if you want. And I was motivated. I just went up and sat down the grass with this, this guy, he's probably 30, you know, I was 13. So he, he looked really old to me at 30, you know, so, <laughs> which, which I'd taken a heartbeat now. But um, So uh, we're talking uh, and I'll send a hand went on my head and I turned around and it was Billy Graham. Wow. And uh, it was a full moon. I got to tell you, it was so funny. I turned around and looked up. His head was just right there where the moon was. So it was totally this light coming off of his, his hair. You know? <laughs> it was like a like, Moses moment. <laughs> oh, it was. It was like this whole, you know, press the organ, ah, music, you know. And um, it, that just always stuck with me. And uh, so I, I don't know. So it's, it's always been there. And it wasn't until I got really moved to L.A., um, that I kind of found a church I liked, but then when I met my my future wife, she had a great church we went to out there in, in Eagle Rock, outside near Pasadena, out there, not too far from where you are, I think. Yeah. And um, it's uh, called Christian Assembly. You should check it out sometime. It's wonderful. Pastor Mark Pickerel is a great guy. I will. And um, yeah, you should. Yeah, you should. I think you'd really enjoy him. He ended up marrying my wife and I, and you can if you can pop in just to check it out and say hi to him. Um, it was, uh, it's, like I said, it's always been there for me. It never really went away. Uh, I, you know, I always had faith, but you know, when I got, when I got hit with these strokes and this huge mm -hmm. life changing event, mm -hmm. um, I've always had faith, but I never needed faith until that happened to me. Mm. And, uh, because you know, when, when, when our lives get torn apart that quickly, especially a guy in his thirties that was in better shape than most athletes in their twenties, cause I was in pretty darn good shape back then to have something like this happen and turn my career upside down and turn my life upside down. The reality is you got to look in the mirror and you just go, you know what? It happened. Now what are you going to do? Yeah, that's huge. What you just said, I think is amazing. And I think a lot of people that, that practice a faith will really resonate with that. I always had faith, but I never needed faith. I, I wonder sometimes um, what it takes to get our attention to turn to God. Because it, it obviously does not have to be a stroke. 
but every mm. but everybody has like that thing that God knows like this is the thing that's going to get you to turn. Well, here's the thing: if you look at the anger out there, if you look at the anger on the internet and the social media. A lot of these people are only creating their, their a bigger quicksand pit for themselves because the reality is. Most of these people that are angry at it could take me, for instance, because I don't even bother reading most responses. You get because one out of every ten, you get some. You should die. I hate you. you. You're a has been. I mean, it's so easy to be so brave when you're in your apartment or wherever you are. Mm-hmm. But I, I, not to play a shrink here, but I'm going to. I honestly think these people hate themselves. They hate their lives. They hate whatever relationships they're in, if they have one. They hate their job if they have a job. Uh, maybe they hate the fact they don't have a job. But, I mean, I think a lot of that, that hate just manifests on itself. And all it does is make them more angry and more pathetic and more uh, just spiraling down into mm-hmm. this brain that's leading you nowhere. And it's, it's, I had a girlfriend for a while that I was dating. And unbeknownst to me, well, I found out rather quickly that she was an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. you cannot help anybody. They got to want to help themselves. You can say all the words you want, have all the interventions you want, whatever. The reality is, I think people need to get to a place in their lives where they hit the, almost that rock bottom and they just kind of look up and say, okay, God, people say you're real. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to give this a shot. You know, the, we need people. People are afraid to ask people to come to their churches now. And we need people to do that. It's not that big a deal. Just, hey, just come check out my church. Well, I know you're an atheist. Whatever. Just come and check it out. Just go there with an open mind and listen. Because, you know, I do a lot of these autograph shows, these Comic-Cons, because mm-hmm. both Andromeda Hercules. Oh, I just lost you again. Got about eight a year to go to. And I just went recently in Portland. And we all know the news coming out of Portland. There's a lot of stuff going on in that city. Yeah. But I had a guy come up to me and he said, you know what? I'm an atheist. I'm a socialist. I liked Hercules and Andromeda both. I watched them both as a kid growing up, and I still follow you on Twitter and everything. I don't agree with everything you say, but I, get, I, I guarantee that I love the fact that you say what you say, mm. and you let me say what I want to say. And I said, exactly. I said, we need more people like you on both sides. Mm-hmm. We need to find more tolerance with each other. We can't, it, it's, so, it's so nothing to sit there and get so angry and cause all these, this hate and anger and, and violence and stuff. It, it does, it does absolutely nothing. It certainly doesn't do nothing for the people that are doing it. All it does is make them more pathetic and more angry. Yeah. I found at the end of the day that people just want to be seen and heard. It, it's not even about the agreeing from what I've observed. It's just, they'll trust you if you will just listen to what they have to say a lot more than if you're like, if you shut them down, there's no trust. You don't even have a chance. There's no yeah. relationship relationship or opportunity for further dialogue so i really like that i appreciate that he said that to you we need well, I, we do need too. more people like him oh i i, I do too i mean you know and there was the, the woman helping me at the table and so many people came i was so grateful to see this in portland i had so many people come up to the table and say because you know these are comic con shows people want to yeah. see batman and all that kind of stuff but they come up and they said we love your faith-based movies we love oh. the, doing the things that you say and by the second day, I, I knew that I, I knew within the first half hour of talking to this woman that was helping me out that she was uh, opposite of me. And she finally said it. She goes, you and I are so different in so many ways. She goes, I'm a socialist. I'm an atheist. And uh, but, I, you know, I won her over with kindness. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't sit there and judge her. I didn't tell her that she's wrong. I didn't tell her. I said, you know, she saw the way I was with the fans. She's, I mean, there was there were gay people that came up. There was a couple of transgenders that came up. I didn't sit there and turn them away and say, okay, I hate you. You're an idiot. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much a live and let live guy, but because of the fact I am a Christian, because of the fact I am a, a conservative, 
Uh, their assumptions are this, this, and this about me. So, oh, you're, 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 you know, you're a Nazi. I go, really? You know, you're anti-gay. Uh, you're anti, you're a, you know, they come up to, they, they throw these things at you and there's no proof behind it. I'm in a business in Hollywood and you're out there. I mean, you know how big the gay population is in Hollywood. You would not find one gay person in 35 years of this business that I've been in, in, my gosh, what, close to 300 hours of television between Hercules and Andromeda and all the other TV shows I've been on, and um, over 120 hours of, of movies, okay? You won't find one gay person I worked with that said I was a horrible person to work with and I was mean and degraded. You won't find one. Mm-hmm. But they, they don't, the people that don't know about me, they know nothing. They just sound, oh, he's one of those guys. I've been banned from a couple of speaking events, you know, just, just because they said, well, you can't have him because, you know, he's, he's one of these guys. And they're going, yeah, wow. Because of what you believe. Isn't Freedom of speech. You know, it's so it's, interesting. It's, it's like, only for me, not you. Right. People are kind of phobic. They're afraid. But what you just shared about how you treated people is really the way that Jesus treated people. Of course. Like he was just, he was hanging out with all the rejects, like all the well, throwaways. Cause you know 20 what? years ago, if I'm, you were different, if you were gay, oh, you yeah, were yeah. beaten up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, I know I still are in some religions, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. But, um, I, you know, but I'm not going to let the Christians off the hook on this stuff either. I mean, we're supposed mm-hmm. to be the most forgiving. And a lot of times we're the least forgiving people out there. Oh, it's so true. And this is what turns people off that are atheists and agnostic. Mm-hmm. And they have a rightful battle when they sit there and go, yeah, but man, I get tired of you guys just pointing your finger at us and blah, blah. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get, I look at the movies I do. And I mm-hmm. still get people that email me and go, your movie wasn't Christian enough. Or they say, it was too Christian. And I'm like going, oh my God, what do we have to do? My movie still was a good movie with a good message, wasn't it? It had hope and redemption and love and faith and mm-hmm. belief. I mean, it, but, but they still attack you because it wasn't enough or was too much. You're going, this is unbelievable. And this is why we have a hard time reaching out to other people to, to be the harvesters we're called out to be because people are sick and tired of being, of being shoved down their throat. I want to do movies. Have I done some straight, basically, you know, Christian movies? Yes, I have. But I've also done movies that just have a good message. My latest movie, Miracle in East Texas, is now out in the film festival world. I directed, I directed Let There Be Light, which I told you about. I directed this one as well. We have a wonderful cast with John Ratzenberger and Lou Gossett Jr. and Tyler Maine. Tyler's big in the WWF world, but a lot of young people know Tyler as Sabretooth and all the X-Men movies. Oh, neat. And my wife's in it, and it's a wonderful true story about two con men back in, the, in 1930 that went through Oklahoma and Texas with woo widows out of their money on fake oil wells. And... Every town they go to, they would sell 500% of the shares. Of course, you can only have 100% of anything. They declare a dry hole, and they run out of town with all this money. Well, they got in East Texas, and they actually strike oil. They weren't planning on it. Oh. It ends up being the largest oil fund in the history of the world. Wow. And in film festivals, we've won Best Romantic Comedy. We've won Best Family Film. We won Best Narrative Film, uh, Audience Favorite Film, Best Faith Film. So here's the thing. They can't pigeonhole us into one thing. This is a movie like mm-hmm. Blindside mm-hmm. or um, The Green Book, which was a wonderful movie. I don't know if you saw that movie. Mm-hmm. I did. And, and it, it's a movie that deals with race relations as well, just like. Oh, you just cut out again. There is, there is redemption there? in this movie. And there's you a lot of. Cut. I'm here. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with our audio, but when you're talking, I'll hear you fine. And then all of a sudden it drops. That's too bad. Yeah. 
because this is good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. So Miracle in East Texas, where can I watch this? Well, right now we're doing film festivals. We got about okay. three more to go and we're, we're trying to raise money for it to call P and a money. P and a money is prints and advertising. And uh, people don't realize it doesn't matter if it's a $2 million movie like this one is or a $300 million Avengers Endgame movie. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to pay each movie screen in each town they go to, they got to pay a fee to get in there. Okay. So um, I'm trying to raise $2 million and people listening, are like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. $2 million isn't even catering on Pirates of the Caribbean, okay? Exactly. <laughs> they spent $300 million on those movies. And this is, here, you know, I get stopped all the time by people saying, please make more movies like mm -hmm. God's Not Dead and Let There Be Like. Well, I'm making more movies like that. But unless the people support these movies, these movies die a quick death. We need word of mouth to get out there because we don't have $100 million like they do for a Pirates movie or for an Avengers movie. They spend $100 million. That's why you see the commercials in every football and basketball game and every golf tournament, wherever. Right. So we need to keep fighting and fighting to get it out there. So we need people um, to, to jump on board to get this movie in there and spread the word to not only churches, but the community to say, go support these movies. Otherwise, they'll die quick death and Hollywood will keep winning the culture war. Trust me. You know what I love is that you just don't give up. I just love. Well, that. I love to work. So <laughs> you do love your. Work. I'm not looking for a government handout. I'm looking. I'm looking to make my own money. You appreciate a lot more when you do it yourself. <laughs> this is true, Kevin. What was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself when you look back over your career? And you know, you've done so many amazing things, and and you fought some hard battles to get your messages out there. But what did you really learn about yourself? Well, you know, it really came from my mom and dad, certainly, about hard work, about mm -hmm. uh, not expecting people to sit and take care of you. You, know, you need to get out to your mark. You want to work. I think it puts a lot of self-worth in there when you work yourself as well. But I used to caddy at this private country club. And um, I uh, did two summers out there. And I really I loved the game of golf. So to me, it was great. And I would carry uh, two bags, 36 holes a day, two of the groups in the morning, groups in the afternoon. And all these people were pretty well, well out people in this private country club. And I would say, um, here, here I am, 18, 19 years old. And I say, how did you become successful? You know, and these guys are anywhere from, you know, late twenties to 80 years old, you know, and every single one of them said, well, I failed. And then I failed again, Kevin. And then I failed again, but I didn't let the failure stop me. And you can learn a lot of positive things from failure. And I've always remembered that say, cause I'm in the business of entertainment. You get out there to Hollywood and everything is about rejection. You know, every door slams in your face. You're too young, you're too old, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're too anything. It's just, mm -hmm. there's always too short, tall, whatever it may be. There's so many reasons why you lose a job other than just getting a job off your talent. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to timing and luck, uh, luck and, and a look. And uh, to me, uh, every time they said no to me, because... Oh, Kevin, I lost you again. And I know this stuff. Um, Kevin, Kevin yeah. can you pick that up again? Uh, right oh. where you left off um, every time they said no to me. Okay. So every time these casting directors or directors or whoever said no to me, it just fueled the fire. It just made me want to work harder. And I learned that failure is a positive thing because uh, whenever I came close on things and didn't get it, I learned, okay, this is what I learned about that casting process or that casting director. And I kept my notes. I knew who these people were. So I, I, like I said, it is called show business, not show show. So I treated it like a business and I worked mm -hmm. really, really hard. I love that.
Yeah, you're a diehard. You will not go down without a fight. I see no, that. I, I won't. <laughs> well, I always tell people, don't let anyone set your limitations, especially yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Hey, so tell us about your book that's coming out, True Faith. Well, True Faith is a, just it's a follow-up to, to True Strength. Um, I'm doing the same sort of format where, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the majority of the book, but this time along, my wife's in quite a bit of the book too. And uh, it sort of came off the heels of Let There Be Light, the movie that my wife co-wrote with Dan Gordon, Dan Gordon's Academy Award nominated writer. He wrote Let There, um, he wrote my latest movie, Miracle in East Texas. Uh, Dan was nominated for his script, The Hurricane with Denzel Washington. He also wrote Wider, Kevin Costner, but he is even more well-known for right, being the showrunner in Highway to Heaven. He wrote 60 of those episodes from Michael Landon's series. Wow. So um, just uh, the whole idea for True Faith really came off Let There Be Light because we didn't know it at the time, but every actor that we cast, um, out of L.A., out of Birmingham, out of Atlanta, we shot it in Birmingham, Alabama, um, came to us and said that they were Christians. We weren't looking to book Christians, we, you know, we, but here's a movie that was certainly a faith-based movie with Let There Be Light. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really about, I play the world's most famous atheist, and he has a, a life-changing event that challenges his worldview. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, you can say it, he hits that rock bottom we talked about earlier, where he mm -hmm. says, okay, you know, God, you've always been a pain in my butt, and I've always, I've made money of not believing in you, but uh, I'm going to give you a shot here. You yeah. know, show me what you can do for me. And, you know, it's not always going to be yes, as you know, mm -hmm. but um, it's still, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a funny movie, but um, the book really came born out of that. So all those actors that were in that movie each wrote a chapter in this book as well. And it's not, it's not, um, it's not a preachy thing whatsoever. It's just, it's, it's certainly semi-autobiographical again, just like True mm -hmm. Strength is, mm -hmm. but just gets a little more deep into different things that weren't in the first book. True strength was born out of, out of obviously the strokes that I suffered and mm -hmm. what I went through and uh, tried to make that as comical as I could too, because I didn't want to be a downer. <laughs> the whole thing was supposed to be uplifting and positive and say, okay, you know, roadblock, here it comes. You know, and the old saying is when life is perfect and everything's going great, just wait a while, right? <laughs> right. So God, or the other one is God laughs as we make plans. So it's... It's um, just, uh, it's a book that'll be up at Christmas time. Hope people will check it out. Oh, yes. I can't wait to read that. You've just been such a source of inspiration as I've watched your work. I remember just, you know, hanging out on the couch watching Hercules and um, never, never did I imagine that I would actually have the honor of interviewing you here on my show. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I, got, I got to say when you said that, I mean, I get that a lot from people. It was pretty funny. And I was driving back from Grand Lake yesterday to get to Denver. It's a two and a half hour drive. Grand Lake is up way up in the mountains northeast of, of, of Denver. Um, and it was Constitution Week and they had me come be their keynote speaker. They celebrate the Constitution, which uh, Constitution Week was implemented by um, President Eisenhower back in the 50s, hoping that it would catch on like Fourth of July. But unfortunately, most people have no idea what's in our Constitution. <laughs> so. Right. But anyway, um, it was a wonderful event. There were about 2,000 people. There was a beautiful sunny day around 60 degrees and up, you know, 8,500 feet in the mountains. It was, it was just, it was breathtaking. And I was hungry. I had to leave very early, early flight. So I hit the road by 5.30 in the morning for a two and a half hour drive. And I, I pulled in to just get a, get a little breakfast sandwich. And the woman behind the counter looked at me and she goes, froze. And she goes, Are you, you're, you're Kevin Sorbo. And I said, <laughs> I, I said you. 
And she said, I'm, I'm sorry. And she couldn't even figure out how to give me change. She goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> she was shaking. She was so visible. She goes, I've never met a celebrity before, but you, I watched you all the time. I watched you all the time. <laughs> so it was, she was very lovely. And I said, look, I, I, I'm great at CPR. So if you go down, don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But she was very nice. And I gave her a little card that I have on there, which uh, I've got about, you know, eight of my uh, really fun family movies. And I said, check out these movies with your kids. I think they'll enjoy them. So. Oh. That's neat. Well, it's really neat that you've been able to use your celebrity for good and to be an influencer and to be a voice about the things that you really believe in. No matter how big or small you are, if you have record, you know, if you're recognizable in some way, um, you have the ability to to influence. And, 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 you know, why not do it for a positive thing instead of a negative thing? Right. That's so good. All right. I'm going to have everything linked up below in the show notes so people can check out your book, check out your movies, and follow you and stay in touch with you. This has been so good, Kevin. Come back anytime. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of Called to Confidence. If you haven't subscribed, hit the button so you never miss an episode. And would you consider leaving a review? All right, friends, until next time, I wish you every good thing.